Welcome to Oslo International Church's podcast, where we share weekly reflections from our community of faith. If you'd like to explore more of our resources or join us for a service, visit our website at oslointernational.church. And now, here's the message from our last Sunday service with Pastor Mike on Storenagel. Christmas sort of takes over your life, doesn't it? Sort of doesn't even ask, it just takes over. This week a friend asked me if Christmas time is very busy for me as a pastor. She's not a Christian, but she knows, uh, knows that I'm a pastor. She asked me, like, oh, is it too crazy, is it too busy? And I thought, well, isn't it kind of crazy for everyone? Like, maybe not Christmas Day itself, depends a bit, but the time leading to it, there's just so much going on. All the time. So come November, and it just takes us by storm whether we want it or not. It's just there. The stores and the streets will go into this red, green, and peppercockia sensory overload. It's just there. Every single official or semi-official or unofficial group you are a part of feels the need to throw a Yulebord. And you're supposed to go to each and every one of those. The schools summon you to event after event presentations, and you're supposed to uh, bring a Yulenisa Lua to school. Even I got myself one at the Yule market at Folkmuseum. And sorry for all the Norwegian English, but Christmas is already crazy enough, and in Norway it is particularly crazy. Norwegians are all over it. And there's that also, right? There's the Christmas fairs, and then there's you know, Lord save us, Christmas shopping. I find Christmas shopping very stress-inducing. Just to give you one example, there's the yearly Lego conundrum, right? Which is, do we surrender or not to the expectations of our kids of getting Lego? Because Lego has the unique ability to bring joy and creativity and also mayhem. Right? I'm, I'm sure if Dante Alighieri was a modern parent, he would have some Lego pieces spread all over his inferno. And that is just one. One of a hundred decisions that Christmas sort of forces on you. When you travel or stay home. Where is home? Maybe for some of us, Christmas is when that question gets a bit weird. Christmas with the parents or with the in-laws? Sometimes that's the advantage of living thousands of kilometers away. We don't have to get into that discussion. <laughs> with your father or your mother? I don't know, maybe your parents don't live together. Or which friends, which groups of friends? Who do you invite over if you're hosting? Where do you make that cut of who's like, you know? What gift do you get for your partner or for your friends or for your kids or for your in-laws? You can't give them wool socks every year. Got to think about something. And I got to say, these are sort of, these are questions of the privileged, right? These are questions of the privileged. The tough part is that the less privileged are often expected to meet these same expectations, which makes the decision not only annoying, but actually hard and sometimes painful. Like, how do you tell your kids that you can't afford the festivities that the whole surrounding culture seems to assure or are given and necessary for some reason. 
Those are the difficult questions, right? When our own expectations and the expectations of the cultural landscape that we are immersed in, when they clash, and they clash in the reality of our own limitations. Whether they're internal or forced on us, they're there. Decisions, questions, decisions, and limitations. The time leading to Christmas is just full of them. But I think few have had quite as hard and weird decisions to make as Joseph the carpenter. Today we want to hear the story of Joseph. And uh, we're going to hear it from how St. Matthew tells it. This Advent season in OAC, we are telling the story of Christmas, and we're telling it again and again. Every Sunday, again and again. We started last Sunday. That's what one does, right? Christmas comes. We know which songs are coming. We know which, which uh, story is coming. But we want to lean into the practice of telling the story again and always one more time again, while also believing that it is and that it can be alive and new in every telling. So we are revisiting an exercise that we did back in 2020 and looking at how the different gospel writers, uh, how they bring different perspectives and dimensions to the story of the coming of Christ into the world. Four gospel writers, we're taking three of them. Mark didn't make the cut this year because we don't have enough Advent Sundays. Uh, But we're going to look at the different perspectives. So today... It's St. Matthew's turn. And he tells more of the story, but from Matthew, we want to hear the story of the carpenter. Joseph from Bethlehem, who suddenly found himself in quite a conundrum that ended up leading him all the way to the Galilean Nazareth. And I'm going to read from the NIV, Matthew chapter 1, and the story is there from verse 18 to 25. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. I find Joseph a very interesting character because we know very little about Joseph. And yet the Christmas story certainly makes an impact in his life. When we're asking Joseph how, how, is, he, how is he doing, 
How is he dealing with the time leading to the first Christmas? The question is, is suddenly it's neither generic nor is it metaphorical or philosophical or conceptual or something. Joseph actually has some very concrete decisions to make. In fact, he has to look at decisions he had made and change them and figure stuff out. And we all realize that if we actually bother spending time with him. If we just sort of rush through the story, it can be easy for us to assume that because there is an angel involved, like divine intervention, that the angel is telling him what to do, well, then the matter is solved. Certainly, if you get the message from an angel, that's simple. But I don't think it's simple. I think nothing is simple about this. Nothing is simple about this story. Mary was pledged to be married to him. And now we understand the euphemisms in Matthew, right? When he said he, they hadn't gotten together and they didn't consummate, it means they hadn't had sex. And now Mary comes to him and says she was found to be pregnant. And I love how that is phrased. Isn't that a weird? Like, she was found to be pregnant. What does this even mean, to be found to be pregnant? How would you react if someone came to you, like, let alone your spouse-to-be, and said, I didn't do anything, I was found to be pregnant? But today we're not focusing on Mary's story, but Joseph's, right? One way or another, he gets to know that Mary is pregnant. And it does seem like she tells him the whole Holy Spirit thing. Now, again, you tell me what you do if the follow-up to the whole found-to-be-pregnant thing is that it was done by the Spirit of God. There's just no script for this situation. Like, who do you ask how to react in a situation like that? And then the angel speaks to him. The angel speaks to him. But here's the thing. And maybe this is my modern mindset way of dealing with things. But the angel speaks to Joseph in a dream. And in Luke's gospel, you have the angel speaking to Mary in what is understood to be waking day. And maybe she is still asking herself, did I imagine this or did I didn't? But here Joseph physically wakes up. And dreams are important. Even nowadays, we might take dreams seriously to some extent. And divine revelations through dreams were part of Joseph's cultural religious setting. There's even discussions if, if Joseph's name is in a reference to his namesake in Genesis, Joseph who became the prince of Egypt, whose main CV credential was precisely interpreting dreams. But the thing, which way, whatever we gave, whichever way we go with this, the thing with dreams is you wake up, right? Joseph wakes up. He wakes up, he looks around, and it's just himself. No angel in the room, no writing on the wall. So he still needs to choose to believe that his dream was really a message from God. And it's not that Joseph is trying to find a way out because he's being selfish Matthew goes to some great extent in his writing to tell us that Joseph was a righteous man. 
And he gives us enough for us to realize or at least presume that Joseph's struggle is that he is trying to do the right thing. At least we have no reason to doubt that. So when Joseph is considering to divorce Mary quietly, it was because he was trying to figure out how to do the righteous thing in this situation I have no script for. He knew the child was not his. And if he went ahead and married Mary, he would either have to pretend the child was his, which he knew it wasn't, or he would have to acknowledge that it wasn't and have people conclude that Mary had been unfaithful, which was not only a dishonor for him, which was a big deal in the culture, but it was a danger for her. So his other option as far as the, as the social convention and sort of the legal and religious frameworks available to him were, was to accuse her publicly, which would very likely mean Mary's death, or to divorce, divorce her quietly. There's no precedent for what to do with this situation. So Joseph weighs out his options and he figures out that the quiet, quiet divorce is the more righteous one. The one that best sort of balances out putting Mary, or not putting Mary in danger, uh, but also not doing something that didn't seem righteous to him. It's not his kid. Perhaps he was looking out for his honor as well, but that was a big thing. He was expected to do so in a patriarchal society that he was a part of. But then the angel speaks to him in his dream and he has to decide. He could still follow his original plan. The, dreams, the dream was his to believe in or not. It would seem righteous. Or he could believe the angel, he could believe Mary, and therefore believe that the righteous thing to do was to take Mary in, even if it would probably not seem righteous to anyone else involved. That's a tough call, right? Now, we don't know what Joseph answered. We don't know what he told Mary. We don't know what he said. We have none of his words or indications of how he explained himself. But we do know how he answered. We know how he answered in the sense that the gospel narratives, they tell us what he did. They don't tell us what he said. But they do tell us what he did. He took Mary home as his wife. And he stuck around at least long enough to take Mary and Jesus to Egypt as refugees. When Herod got all crazy and wanted to kill all the babies, as the narrative goes, and then back again. After that, he mostly sort of disappears from the story. But I think it's not unreasonable to assume that he was around for at least some years more and was, in fact, not just around, but was a father to Jesus. You see, years later, when Jesus started his public ministry and showed up in his hometown, what was everybody's reaction? It was, wait, isn't this the son of Joseph? Isn't this the son of Joseph? And Mark actually has them saying, isn't this the carpenter? While St. Matthew has them saying, isn't this the carpenter's son? And I'm doing, I know I'm doing a lot of cross-gospel references here, but 
it gives us a sense that maybe Joseph was around even long enough to teach his kid a craft, which is what you would do, which is how jobs went at the time. So for those around whom Jesus grew up, at least as far as we're concerned, Joseph was his father, the father who took him to Jerusalem for the rites and festivities that St. Luke tells the story, the father who taught him a craft and a profession before he decided to go be a wandering preacher. <laughs> and we can ask, I think it's fair enough to ask if Joseph did all of this out of resignation or out of faith. Maybe it was a mix of both. Things are often not that black and white, are they? But I would argue that it was out of faith or that faith was a defining factor because he, well, he called the baby Jesus. And Jesus means God saves. That's a big name to call a child. And I cannot imagine that it was an easy decision for Joseph between doing what seemed righteous in his faithfulness to the law or believing what the angel and Mary, and do, uh, and Mary were saying and doing what was a righteous response to God and to Mary and to the baby in her belly. And there's one more detail in Matthew's gospel, which I find revealing. Matthew links Joseph's name revelation experience with the angel, right, that conversation. Matthew links that to the prophetic witness of the prophet Isaiah. They will call him Emmanuel, God with us. We see this name pop up in our Christmas songs, uh, maybe in our preachings. In our, I, I love that, that name, Emmanuel, God with us. And that's where we find it. Matthew makes that link with the story of Joseph. And this link becomes then in the witness, in the gospel witness of Matthew, it becomes a lens for Joseph. That Joseph not only believed, but he let it bear on his life. That Joseph perhaps did the exercise of transforming and translating the name Emmanuel into a very concrete answer. He dealt with those around him, and especially those closest to him, as if it was true that God was with them. That God is with us. He dealt with Mary as if God is with us. He dealt with Jesus as if God is with us. He took the, the name Emmanuel, right, from, from dream to heart and from heart to hands, to hands to act and to embrace. Now, scholars believe that Joseph might have died by the time that Jesus went around preaching and healing. It's more or less a consensus in that direction. But I like to imagine, <laughs> I like to imagine that Joseph might have smiled quietly if he had heard Jesus tell the parable of the goats and the sheep in the kingdom of God. Then the king will say, Joseph tells, or Jesus tells the story, then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, 
take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of these, least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. If you know the parable, you know the, the answer. But when did we do this to you? Whenever you did it to one of these little ones. I think Joseph would smile, not because of the obvious irony that he had done many of those very things with Jesus as a child, giving him food, giving him clothing, nurturing him, but because that was for him, as long as we can unravel the story of Joseph, that was for him the expression of believing that God is among us. That was very concretely how his believing became real. The answer to the declaration of Emmanuel is that it changes and defines how we deal with those around us. It becomes part of the daily decisions. Will I stay with this woman? Will I not? Will I nurture this child? Will I not? How will I deal with my neighbors? Will I teach him a craft? Will I, teach him, will I deal with him as my kid? Will I deal with Mary as my spouse? How I will act to those I meet? What will I tell the neighbors? All the daily decisions. And if you're one of those who has a kid, you know how many daily decisions. <laughs> that kindness, compassion, nurturing, feeding, clothing. And it goes beyond, right? Be it baby Jesus, but also Mother Mary and Cousin Joe, neighbor Frank. Doing these things to these are proper expressions of the righteousness that believes in faith and in practice that God is Emmanuel, that God is with us. And so the story, the story of Joseph and, and the angel, isn't just about a God who was with Mary. It's also not just about a God that was with Joseph. No, Matthew tells us there, right? Emmanuel, God is with us. And so this St. Matthew Christmas storytelling invites us and challenges us to ask, how is Emmanuel present in our daily decisions? How does this sense of faith that we declare in our community, in the creeds of the Christian church, in the songs that we sing, that God is with us, how does it get shaped in our bodies into how we deal with the people around us, into our words, into our actions? Perhaps we could ask it, ask it differently. Are we daily deciding to embrace the reality of a God that is with us as we meet the other and as we meet ourselves in the mirror. When I meet my neighbor, when I meet my family, when I meet my workmates, when I meet the beggar in the street, when I meet the images of Israel and Gaza, when I meet 
hunger and when I meet plenty, when I meet abundance and when I meet lack, when I meet despair and when I meet hope? Do I believe that God is with us? How does that shape how I react and act in relation to all of these around me? When I see struggle and when I see myself in the middle of all of that, Joseph isn't, as far as we know, a person of many words. We Christians are good with words. But we need to believe that God is with us when we meet each other. What do we do when we wake up? When we walk from these doors? When we lift our heads from our Bibles or from our bellies? I think Joseph has a story to tell. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you, his light in your life. That he may turn his face towards each and every one of you and give you peace. So let us go. Let's wake up and go in the name and in the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And let us serve each other. Let us serve the world. And in that way, serve the Lord. Let us do it joyfully. Amen. Do you want to stay connected with us? Check out our website at oslointernational.church to discover more about our community, access additional resources, and join us in our faith journey. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.